This episode of Mothers Who Kill deals with mental health and depression. If you or anyone you know is suffering with a mental health illness, please reach out to the National Alliance on Mental Health at 1-800-950-6264 or www.nami.org for more information. You can also reach out to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. This is a 24-hour, 365-days-a-year service. The Mental Health Hotline provides education, support, and connections to treatment. It's available in English and Spanish. You can call 1-800-662-4357 or go to www.samhsa.gov. And you can also reach out to the National Institute of Mental Health at 866-615-6464. And for online chat, you can go to www.nimh.nih.gov. Hey y'all, it's Stacy. It's Katie. And you're listening to Mothers Who Kill. So, before we get started on today's case, uh, we wanted to apologize for the delay in this episode. The last month of 2020 was kind of crazy bullshit for us, dealing with sickness with both of us. Bronchitis. I think I had the flu, not really sure. Death of the family. And then we also had work schedules to work around, holidays, kids being out of school, all that good bullshit. Um, So, we want to thank you guys for being patient with us on this episode, but... Like we said on our social media, new year, new episode. And thank you guys for also continuing to promote us. We are still a baby, and we appreciate every single tweet, post on Instagram, follow on Instagram, whatever you guys decide to do. So thank you for keeping up with us. I want to give a shout out to Joey at Blood is Thicker podcast. Thank you for always backing us up. He's been the number one. Thank you for being our fan, and we cannot wait to collaborate with you guys. Okay, guys, so today's case is about Andrea Yates. I'm sure everybody remembers it. We've been promoting it for about a month now, and we're finally getting around to getting it recorded. Um, We are going to take a timeline approach to this case just because there's so much information that we don't want to leave anything out, and let's get started. It was a crime that horrified the nation in June of 2001, 15 years ago. Andrea Yates drowning her five children in the bathtub of her Houston area home. She then called 911 to report what she'd done. You need an ambulance? No, I need a police officer. We have an ambulance. Noah, John, Paul, Luke, and baby Mary, seven years to just six months old. Her husband, Rusty, was working at the time. He returned to a scene of sheer terror. Andrea Pia Yates was born on July 2nd, 1964, in Hallsville, Texas. She was described as a difficult child who suffered from bulimia and depression. When she was 17, she talked to a friend about suicide. In high school, Andrea was the captain of the swim team and an officer of the National Honor Society. She also graduated in 1982 as class valedictorian. Andrea completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston and graduated from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. From 1986 to 1994, Andrea worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. 
In the summer of 1989, she met a young man by the name of Russell Yates, who went by Rusty. In 1989, Rusty introduced Andrea to Michael Warnecki, a Christian missionary. We're going to dive more into that relationship just a little bit later. Um, Warnecki told the couple not to marry quickly, which he claims is the same advice he gives all young couples. The Yates followed his teachings, and both couples stayed in touch by letter and telephone calls. On April 17, 1993, Rusty and Andrea married. The couple told family members and friends that they planned on having as many babies as nature and God allowed. The Yates purchased a four-bedroom home in Friendswood, Texas. On February 26, 1994, the couple's first child, Noah, was born. Shortly after Noah's first birthday, Rusty accepted a job in Florida, so the family relocated to Seminole, Florida. Andrea later tells doctors that after Noah was born, Satan told her to get a knife and stab someone. On December 12, 1995, the couple welcomed their second son, John. By the time their third son, Paul, was born on September 13, 1997, the family had moved back to Houston. Okay, so y'all remember Michael Warnecki and me saying we were going to dive into this a little bit more later? Well, here's later. We know that the Yates and Warnecki family stayed in touch, and in 1998, the Yates family traveled to Miami. After hearing that the Warneckies were selling their motorhome, Rusty bought the bus, a 1978 GMC that Michael Warnecki had used for his family's travels, and the Yates moved into it. Warnecki was a traveling minister whose religious views had influenced both Rusty and Andrea. Rusty only agreed with some of Warnecki's ideas, but Andrea embraced the extremist sermons. He preached that the role of women is derived from the sin of Eve, and that bad mothers who are going to hell create bad children who will go to hell. Andrea was so totally captivated by Warnecki that Rusty and her families grew concerned. In 2002, Michael Warnecki came to the attention of the national media when Andrea's trial started. Her defense attorney, George Parnum, placed a copy of Warnecki's newsletter, The Perilous Times, into evidence, suggesting that the material was dangerous for someone like Yates, and the defense, defense team psychiatrist, Lucy Purrier, on Good Morning America, stated that Yates' fate may have been different if she had never met Michael Warnecki. Certain media outlets alleged that Warnecki bore some responsibility for influencing Andrea. However, Michael Warnecki and Rusty Yates dismissed these allegations. According to the Houston Chronicle, Yates said his relationship with Warnecki was more like learning from a book. He was free to accept what he wanted and to reject what he didn't want. Yates said it was just crazy that his wife was influenced by Warnecki. He stated that Andrea suffered from schizophrenia, depression, and delusions for years. Both Yates and Warnecki characterized the connection between Warnecki's teaching and Andrea State's Andrea Yates' state of mind is nothing more than dramatized reporting. Warnecki certainly didn't cause the delusion, said Rusty. Warnecki called the defense claims ridiculous. He stated that he only met Andrea, pers Andrea personally four or five times over the 20 years and that his relationship with her was one of nothing but love and compassion. Warnecki said that he had warned Russell that Andrea and their children needed his love. Here's a clip of Andrea talking to a psychiatrist after her arrest where she explains what she was thinking during um, the murders. It talks about hell and heaven and the kids, and it kind of gives you an idea of why the press thought that Warnecki's teachings had something to do with this. What were you trying to accomplish then when you did take your children's lives? 
on February 15, 1999, the couple's fourth and final son, Luke, was born. On June 16, 1999, Andrea called Rusty at work and asked him to come home. He finds her shaking, chewing her fingernails, and crying. The next day, June 17, 1999, Andrea takes an overdose of Trazodone, a prescription given to her father after a stroke. On June 18, 1999, Andrea was admitted to Methodist Hospital Psychiatric Unit, where she was diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. On June 24, 1999, Andrea was discharged before her symptoms were resolved because her insurance company limited the number of days of inpatient care it would pay for. Andrea is referred to psychiatrist Eileen Starbranch. On July 1, 1999, Andrea was seen by Starbranch. She was prescribed antidepressants, but would not take them. Sometime during all of this, Rusty purchased a small home from the family, thinking it would help with Andrea's mental state. On July 20th of 1999, Rusty finds Andrea in the bathroom of her mother's home holding a knife to her throat. She had began to self-mutilate and said she heard voices that told her to get a knife. Rusty was able to wrestle a knife from Andrea, and on July 21st of 1999, she was admitted to Memorial Springs Shadows Glen for psychiatric treatment. There, she was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis and began taking the antipsychotic medication Haldol. Haldol is a psychiatric medication that works by helping to restore the balance of certain natural substances in the brain. It is used to treat certain mental and mood disorders like schizophrenia. This medication helps you to think more clearly, feel less nervous, and take part in everyday life. It also helps prevent suicide and people who are likely to harm themselves and reduces aggression and the desire to hurt others. It can also decrease negative thoughts and hallucinations. Andrew was released from the facility on August 9, 1999 and appeared to temporarily stabilize. On August 10th of 1999, Andrea began daily outpatient care. And this is an important date because it's going to come up later. On August 18th of 1999, Dr. Starbranch warned Andrea and Rusty that having another child would guarantee future psychotic depression. On 11 days later, on August 29th, Andrea was discharged from daily outpatient care, but she continued to see Dr. Starbranch monthly. In November of 1999, Andrea stopped taking the Haldol. We're not really sure. In all the research I did, I could not find a reason why. And in January of 2000, Andrea had her last monthly appointment with Dr. Starbranch. And clearly the Yates ignore Dr. Starbranch's warning as Andrea becomes pregnant with their last child in late February or early March. And on November 30th of 2000, the couple's last child and only daughter, Mary, was born. Andrea seemed to be coping well up until her father's death on March 12, 2001. Rusty states that her condition began to deteriorate soon after. Andrea stopped talking, drinking liquids, nursing the baby, and began pulling out her own hair. She thought video cameras were watching her in the house and that television characters were speaking to her. Mute and catatonic, on March 31, 2001, she was admitted to Devereux, Texas Treatment Network, a facility that specializes in substance abuse, which was chosen by her husband because it was close to home. A new psychiatrist restarted her on antipsychotic drug therapy. She was discharged to outpatient care 10 days later on April 21, 2001, despite being still depressed and mute because her sleeping habits and eating had improved. 
On May 3rd, 2001, she degenerated back into her near-catatonic state and filled the bathtub in the middle of the day. She would later confess to the police that she had planned to drown the children that day, but they had decided against it. She was hospitalized the next day, May 4th, 2001, after a scheduled doctor's visit. Her psychiatrist, Dr. Mohammed Saeed, determined she was probably suicidal and had filled the tub to drown herself. Andrea is released on May 14, 2001, and on June 4, 2001, after she complained about the side effects, Dr. Saeed tells Rusty to wean off the Hadal over the three-day period. On June 7, 2001, Andrea took her final dose of Hadal. A few weeks later, though, she had seriously declined, and on June 18, 2001, during a follow-up, Rusty asked Dr. Saeed about restarting Hadal. The psychiatrist refused, saying it was a bad medicine. Rusty then raised the possibility of electroconvulsive therapy again, but the psychiatrist said that the treatment was reserved for people with severe mental illness and that Andrea should instead think positive thoughts. On June 20, 2001, Rusty left for work, leaving Andrea alone with the children against Dr. Saeed's instructions to supervise her around the clock. His mother had been scheduled to arrive within the hour. But within that hour, Andrea had filled the bathtub and she systematically drowned her children, starting with Paul. She then placed the three younger boys on her bed and covered them. Mary was left floating in the tub, and the last child alive was their firstborn son, Noah. He asked his mother what was wrong with Mary, then turned and ran. Andrea called up with him, and as he screamed, she dragged him back and forced him into the tub next to Mary's floating body. He fought desperately, coming up for air twice, but Andrea held him down until he was dead. Leaving Noah in the tub, she brought Mary back to the bed and laid her in the arms of her brothers. I've also read reports that John fought back as well because during his autopsy, Andrea's hair was found in his little fist. On July 30th, 2001, Andrea is indicted on two counts of capital murder and pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. Her trial began on February 18th in 2002. In March of 2002, during the trial, the prosecution's expert witness, psychiatrist Park Dietz, testified that Yates got the idea to drown her children from an episode of Law & Order. However, the show's producers later state that no such episode ever aired. On March 12, 2002, a Harris County jury convicts Andrea of two counts of capital murder in the deaths of Noah, John, and Mary. She was not tried in the deaths of Paul and Luke. She is later sentenced to life in prison. In October of 2003, she was placed on suicide watch after, be- after refusing to eat. On April 30, 2004, her attorney filed an appeal. In July of 2004, she was hospitalized again after refusing to eat, and on July 30th, 2004, Rusty filed for divorce.
On January 6, 2005, a three-judge panel of the First Court of Appeals in Houston overturned Andrea's capital murder convictions and ordered a new trial. In its ruling, the panel cited false testimony by key prosecution witness Part Dietz, who was the only psychiatrist who testified at the trial that Yates was sane when she killed her children. On March 17, 2005, the divorce between Andrea Yates and Russell Yates is finalized. She received $7,000 in cash, the right to be buried near their children, and a nursing chair. Andrea will also receive part of Russell's retirement benefits from NASA. On January 9, 2006, Yates pleads not guilty by reason of insanity during her first court appearance since 2002. February 1, 2006, State District Judge Belinda Hill approves a $200,000 bond for Yates on the condition that she voluntarily commits herself to Russ State Hospital. February 2, 2006, Yates is released from Harris County Jail and admitted to the Russ State Hospital for psychiatric treatment. On June 26, 2006, Andrea's retrial begins. On July 26, 2006, Yates is found not guilty by reason of insanity and is ordered to a mental hospital. In January of 2007, Andrea is transferred from North Texas State Hospital to Carryville State Hospital in Carryville, Texas. In 2012, her petition to attend weekly church services outside of the hospital is denied. In February of 2014, Andrea and her doctors request that she be allowed to attend supervised group outings with other patients, but the request was later withdrawn due to media attention and public scrutiny. We know that Rusty remarried to Laura Arnold in 2006 and had another son who is now 12. Unfortunately, Rusty and Laura divorced in 2015. Rusty says that it was hard for him to process everything that happened, but it helps for him to think about all the happy times he he spent with Andrea and their children before the tragedy occurred. For Rusty, those memories are what defines the people who they lost, not the event itself, which is why he says he forgave Andrea. He claims that he always blamed her illness for the deaths of their children and not her. He also calls Andrea once a month and visits her once a year to maintain a cordial relationship. Uh, that last part kind of baffles me. I wonder if he does it out of guilt. I'm thinking either out of guilt or loyalty, maybe. But she spoke about his mental illness throughout their entire marriage, and he never once tried to get her any more help than what she was receiving already. Right, and neither one of them listened to Dr. Starbranch in saying they should not have another child. Exactly. They, they went ahead with this. Um, I do want to note that it says that more than one of Andrea's doctors has since said that she is either the sickest person or among a handful of the sickest people they have ever seen. She had been variously diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, major depression, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, and a combination of these conditions with the postpartum psychosis generally being accepted as the most definitive. Postpartum disorders range from the common but the short-lasting baby blues to postpartum depression, which affects 10 to 15% of women after childbirth, to psychosis, which only occurs in 1 to 2 out of every 1,000 new mothers. Screening and early recognition are often crucial for the effective treatment. If you are a mother or know of a mother who is struggling with postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis, 
please do not be afraid to ask for help. Please do not be afraid to reach out for help. There are so many different avenues that you can take. We will be posting numbers and organizations at the end of this episode also if you have trouble finding help. We just, once again, plead with you. Please reach out for help. I firmly believe that if she got a decent help back in the day... When she brought up the very first mention of mental health, that these kids would still be here to this day. Right, because we know that when she was 17, she reached out to a friend about suicide. So we know, even though it was back in the 1970s when she was a teenager, and stigma it was around it. There was a stigma, I firmly believe, that had she gotten help then, I don't think she'd be where she is today. Absolutely not. And then we also know that after... Noah was born. She had another stint with um, Satan telling her to kill someone or stab Voices someone. In her head. She could have gotten help then. Instead, it waited until Luke was born. And by then... And they, she still didn't have the proper treatment. And we know that for two years before she killed her children, she had been thinking about killing her children. Rusty could have helped her. It wasn't like this episode was unexpected. Exactly. I mean, she's the I mental issues are there. The cry for help, it is there. I don't think anybody realized the extent of what she was going through in her head. And I definitely don't think they realized how far she would actually go. Exactly, because both of us have been diagnosed with depression. And both of us handle it in different ways. Correct. Without medication. We both handle it without medication. Not saying that's the best thing to do. Because I also had postpartum depression with my youngest child. And let me tell you, digging yourself out of that hole without any help from the father, without any help from doctors dealing with it on your own, is extremely hard. And if I'd have known what I do now, I would have reached out for help. But this, uh, it's come a long way But we still have a way to go. Yeah, the stigma around mental health is still there. But I think the society is more acceptable, I think, to getting help for mental health. More open. More open to it. But let me just go ahead and explain to you that not all medications for mental health work either. Absolutely not. Some increase your thoughts of suicide. I was on an antidepressant. For maybe a week, and after the end of that week, I was ready to cut myself. And we, I urged her to stop that medication immediately. It's not about the medication. It is about the doctors who help you. If you have the right doctor who's willing to listen to you and you have family support, I think anybody can get through it. Every brain and every human is not the same. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. It's going to be completely different. So this morning before we started recording, I was scrolling through Facebook and ironically, a group that I'm in called um, True Crime, Our Morbid Curiosity was having a discussion about this case. I did ask if we could share some of the members' opinions and they agreed. The original post was from Ashley Nicole and said, I just watched the Andrea Yates story on Discovery Plus and I'm curious on other people's opinions. I'm so torn because how can you kill your own child, let alone five of them? But at the same time, if she thought she was saving them, does it make it less heinous? I don't know. I'm so conflicted. 
Katie Maddox said she needed help. PPD deaths are so preventable. This whole thing upsets me. Megan H. said, I don't think there's any question here. She indeed killed all of her kids, but she had also been very ill. Postpartum psychosis is extremely dangerous, but that is why she is in a psych ward and not a prison. Becca M. said, I have always and will always blame her husband. He knew she was she he knew she had PPD and continued to get her pregnant. I also believe she suffered abuse from her husband. And Tasha said she was severely mentally ill and shouldn't have been left alone with those children. Her husband should be in prison too. Now obviously these women somewhat sympathize with Andrea. These next three posters do not. Mike W said Obviously, it doesn't make any le- make it any less heinous. What a stupid question. Margie Johnson said she knew what she was doing was wrong. Even chased down one of her kids to murder him. I don't believe the whole mentally ill for this case. And Sam Thornton said, I don't understand the sympathy for this woman. It baffles me. She held five children underwater who must have been terrified and begging her to stop. So as you guys can see, like we've said, the stigma around mental health is is there and some people sympathize with those with mental health and a lot of people don't um you guys thank you so much again for your patience and we know this episode was a long time coming but we finally got it done and we want to thank you for listening and we We hope you have the best start to your new year I know it's a complete show today. Have y'all seen what's going on in Washington? I hope not. Yeah, let's let's keep politics anyway. in Washington. Anyway, we hope you guys have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay, guys. So today's case is Andrea Yates. As we've said for, I guess, over a month now. Yeah. Um, we are going to take a time on approach with this episode. There's a lot of information on this case, and we just don't want to leave anything out. So let's get started. Andrea Pia Yates was born on July 2nd, 1964, in Hallsville, Texas. She was described as a difficult child when. <laughs> On April 17th, 1993, Dusty... Shut up, Dusty. On June 24th, 1999, Andrea was discharged before her symptoms were resolved because her insurance company limited the number of days of inpatient care it would pay for. Andrea is referred to... I did too big of a pause. On July 20th, 1999, Rusty finds Andrea in the bathroom of her mother's home holding a knife to her throat. She began to self-mutilate and heard voices that told her to get a knife. Rusty is able to wrestle a knife from Andrea. And on July 21st, 1999, Andrea was admitted to Memorial Spring Shadows Glen for psychiatric treatment. She was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis and began taking the antipsychotic medication Haldol. Haldol is a psychiatric medication that works. God damn it. Fuck, fuck, fuck. On July 20th, 1999, Rusty found Andrea in her mother's home in the bathroom holding a... God damn it! On February 26th... (laughs) 
This episode of Mothers Who Kill deals with mental health and depression. If you or anyone you know is suffering with a mental health illness, please reach out to the National Alliance on Mental Health at 1-800-950-6264 or www.nami.org for more information. You can also reach out to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration This is a 24-hour, 365 days a year service. The Mental Health Hotline provides education, support, and connections to treatment. It's available in English and Spanish. You can call 1-800-662-4357 or go to www.samhsa.gov. And you can also reach out to the National Institute of Mental Health at 866-615-6464 and for online chat you can go to www.nimh.nih.gov